Are you in college? The Thomistic Institute Study Abroad Program is now accepting applications for the spring semester of 2024. This unique and exciting study abroad program offers you the opportunity to spend a semester in Rome at the Dominican Order's Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. You'll study the ancient and medieval intellectual tradition of Rome, live with like-minded young men and women steps from the Colosseum, and participate in weekly cultural and intellectual events, regular day trips, and multi-day excursions. To learn more about this life-changing opportunity, go to ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. That's ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. During the discussion period last time, and um, also in some chats I had with people after, um, I had an opportunity to think about two interesting issues that came up. Um, one has to do with some of the things that Aristotle says that makes it sound like, makes uh, virtuous living for Aristotle sound kind of excessively self-regarding, as if every time you do something good, what you're thinking is, look at me, my life is so awesome, here I am making my life great, which seems like a weird thing to be thinking about while you're, you know, helping other people or something like that, right? Um, so what I want to say is um, that th these remarks come up, the, the weirdest things that Aristotle says about that come up in a response to an objection. And the objection just is, isn't the good person being selfish here? Now, if Aristotle had been willing to say, oh no, when it's you live well, it's terrible for you. Your life goes down the toilet, but that's what makes you so noble. Then he wouldn't have this poem. But he doesn't want to say that because he thinks that being a good person is good for the person who is good. And so he has to say all these things like, when the good person chooses a good action, he is choosing something that's good for himself. And that, but that doesn't mean, but, you know, he has to say all that stuff because he's responding to the objection. And that doesn't mean that every time the good person acts, he's thinking about himself and his own glory. That's just a sort of different issue. Um, Aristotle's just trying to make the point that living virtuously and having a good life, that's not a trade-off. You don't decide, I will wreck my life in order to be a good person. That's just a confused way of thinking about it from Aristotle's point of view. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to say um, had to do with the um, question that came up about um, just what is the relationship between all the good actions that make up your life and being happy, which Aristotle sometimes presents as if it is one sort of large-scale activity so are the, the smaller actions, are they means to the end of being happy? Are they component parts? Are they constituents, if that's different from parts? There's a lot of tricky questions there, and it's hard to answer them. Um, and so I, what I basically want to say about that is that it's important as we ponder those tricky questions that we not 
fall into thinking that be, because we're not sure what the right answer is, we have no idea what Aristotle is saying. Okay, so you're in the labyrinth, but you've still got your finger on Ariadne's thread and like hang on to the thread. Don't let go. And the thread is this. It's very clear that for Aristotle, being happy and living well are the same thing. Okay, so whatever, how the details work out, don't lose sight of the fact that um, for him, the, the sort of point of ethics is living well, and that's the same thing as saying the point of, of ethics is being happy. So whatever you, when you're sort of confused about all the details, just hang on to that. Uh, and I think this is generally important in philosophy. You can get overwhelmed by the details, and that's like part of what being a philosopher is. But um, don't let them throw you off so much that you lose everything you ever knew, because then something's gone wrong. Okay, so much for that. Now I'm going to actually start talking about the topic of the second lecture on friendship. So what friendship is and the three main types of friendship. That's what I'm going to be talking about in this talk. Aristotle devotes two out of ten books of the ethics to friendship. That's like 20%. It must be pretty important to him. Um, friendship, on the one hand, is, is a pretty familiar thing. Most of us at least sort of have friends, or anyway we wish we did. We know what people are talking about when they talk about friendship, at least sort of. On the other hand, pinning it down precisely can be difficult. So that's, one of, that's why it's like a cool topic for philosophical investigation. You have a good starting point, but there's a lot to try to work out in detail. Now, what Aristotle does um, among, well, yeah, he gives us a, a definition of friendship. He distinguishes three main types of friendship. And then he also makes a large number of more detailed remarks here, there, and everywhere. Some of which are quite interesting to follow up on and reflect on. So, first let me say, um, oh, here we go. Aristotle's word for friendship, philos, I mean for friend, and then friendship is philia, if that helps you. Um, I sometimes think that his word is a little broader than the English word friend, at least in American usage. There are people that Aristotle would call a philos that we would say, is that a friend exactly? I'm not so sure. Um, I'm confident that Aristotle's uses, usage is broader than the German word Freund. I mean, Germans sometimes think like Americans are really shallow because they call all these people friends. But friend and Freund aren't exactly the same thing. It just sounds like it. Um, I mean, the German word Freund is like the English word good friend or something like that. Um, so this is all to say, let's not get too tripped up by the terminology. Um, we have to have words to talk about these things. Friend, friendship, those are the words that are going to mostly get used. But just keep it, just be flexible about um, what's actually being covered. Aristotle includes in his analysis of quote-unquote friendship, the stuff that we would call friends, but maybe other things as well, and that's okay. Um, now, so that's one reason to kind of go slow and be careful. Another is that um, in addition to, well, 
when he talks about what friendship is, but also when he talks about what friendship is based on, what he talks about its characteristic activities, um, sometimes the things he says are not what we might have expected. So again, it's a good reason to be slow and careful. Now, I think the the place to start with this um, is with love. So for Aristotle, friendship, love is a crucial aspect of friendship. Friends love each other. The mere fact that two people love each other is not enough to make friendship, as we will see. It sounds like it is, but um, but it's a very but it's still an important part of friendship. So we'll start with that. Now, love is actually a difficult concept. It's more than a feeling. We're all, all often being told love is not a feeling, but that's not quite right either. Um, it can exist in the absence of feeling here and now, but a love that you never felt ever, that would be kind of a strange thing. Um, Thomas Aquinas calls love a passion. Okay, He doesn't call it a decision. And though, I mean, we're always being told it's not a passion, it's not a feeling, it's a decision. There's a good reason for saying that in certain contexts. There are people who pay way too much attention to their feelings. And as soon as their feelings dry up, they're like, well, love is gone. It's over, right? Okay, so that's a problem. And there, so there are contexts in which it's good to, t- to say there's something good served by saying love is not a feeling. But like feeling is part of love. It just simply is because that's it. Love is a passion. So it's complicated, right? That's what I'm trying to say. What love is is a complicated and difficult topic. Um. Love seems to involve wishing benefits for the other people. You want things to go well for them. That's, I wouldn't call that wrong exactly. But again, presumably we want to say that you can love God, but it's not really rational to wish benefits for God in any straightforward sense. You can't improve God's life. You can't do him favors. You can't get him out of a pickle. Um, he doesn't need any benefits. I mean, he doesn't benefit himself either, right? He's already got everything all the time. So, so apparently there's more to love than just wishing benefits. You see what I'm trying to say? So love is a complicated topic. Aristotle says that there are three main... Wait, so having said that, let me say also, in this context of talking about Aristotle and friendship, Love is going to involve feelings, and it's going to involve benefiting other people. Those are going to be central, even if they don't apply straightforwardly to other cases of love. Okay, so Aristotle says that there are three main reasons why you would love someone. Three grounds on which love could be based. Um... And that's just because there are three kinds of things that are lovable in the first place. So he uses this three-way distinction to um, come up with his three-way division of the types of friendship. So first, let's talk about broad classes of things that are loved. This isn't even about loving people yet. This is just about loving whatever. So you can love the good, you can love the pleasant, and you can love the useful. That's the way... 
the distinction gets made. And if you say, but wait, isn't usefulness good? Like then, like don't say that, right? Of course it is, but he means good in a narrower sense in this case. Okay, so think of honesty or courage. Those are good things. They are sometimes useful, perhaps, but um, they are lovable even when they aren't useful, right? People say, I hate this phrase, honesty is the best policy. Like, honesty should not be a policy. Honesty is a virtue. <laughs> honesty is something that you should do because it's good to be honest, not because if you're honest, good things will come to you. I hate to say this, but sometimes if you're honest, bad things come to you. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. So, um, yeah. So, things like honesty and courage are lovable because they're good, not in the sense of being useful, but just they just are good things in themselves. It's great when they're around. Now you can pick something else that's pleasant, like beer or fun conversation, joking around. So these are things that we love because they are pleasant. And then finally, you have things that are useful, like auto repairs, or getting a job, or someone pushing you around in a wheelchair. These are things that are, are loved because they are useful, because they lead to something else. Now, Aristotle uses this trio of the good, the pleasant, and the useful to categorize three reasons for loving someone. So let me take them in reverse order. I'll start with usefulness. You can love someone because he is useful to you. You love him because he fixes your car. Or you love him because he's giving you a job. Or because he pushes you around in your wheelchair. Now, this might sound strange. You might say, like, love? Who would say love about that? Well, okay. How about, like, you like the person who pushes you around in your wheelchair. You like the guy who fixes your car. That's pretty plausible, right? Okay. So I'm going to come back to this, but, like, try not to get super hung up on whether the word love, as it's being used by Aristotle here, has just the same range of meanings as love as we would use it in, you know, the U.S. in 2023 or whatever, okay? So you can love someone or like someone because he's useful to you, because he provides you with benefits or services. So that's one situation. Another situation is you love someone because he's pleasant or enjoyable. Some people are funny, and we just kind of hang around them because they make us laugh. Some people make good conversation. You, you know, if you're, you're heading into a dinner party, you might angle to end up at their table because, you know, good stories will be told. And, um, you know, they won't, like, pontificate too much. Like, they're just good dinner conversationalists, and it's nice to be at that table. Um, or some people are like good fishing companions, you know, like... They don't talk too much. They just like fish, you know. Okay. So, um, 
Now, again, you may think this is a little weird. Well, then just use the word like, and a lot of your problems will just go away. Okay. So you like these people. Finally, you could love someone because he's good. He's honest or courageous, and you admire these things. Someone is really, uh, you know, disciplined and self-sacrificing or bold or whatever, and you just think like, that is admirable. I just, I just like her for that. Or love even. Now here the word love is a little less strange, right? All right. So what we've got so far is three types of lovable things, and then the idea that people can be lovable in those three ways. So we're on our way to a threefold division of friendship, but we're not there yet. Um, so hang on. <laughs> um, there's an important distinction that needs to be attended to. In these three situations, you love someone or you like someone and you wish that person well. But the first two, um, yeah, usefulness or pleasantness, pleasure, are kind of like each other in a way that makes them different from the third one. In the first two, you like the person, but the reason you like them ultimately comes back to you. So the funny person I like because he makes me laugh. It's kind of, this is, we were using the word self-referential yesterday. There is something self-referential about this kind of love. I do kind of like the funny person because he makes me laugh. I like the auto mechanic because he actually does fix my car. And I like having my car fixed. So it's kind of about myself. It doesn't mean I don't like the person, but there is something about me involved in it. The third case is different. The, reasons, the reason that I like the courageous person is not really about me. It's about the courageous person. There is something admirable about that person that makes me value that person, wish well for that person. Even if it doesn't benefit me. Now, it's complicated. Utility and pleasure accompany the good, often. So, a courageous person is actually often kind of useful to be around. You know, if the muggers come along, he'll like beat off the muggers. And then I'll be like, ooh, that was nice. So I was glad I was with that guy. Um, and it will give me pleasure to see him, you know, beating off the muggers. So, like, you see, so I'll get a lot of side benefits here. Um, so that makes it complicated. But the point is that my love for this person is not reducible to the useful utility for myself and pleasure. So these are all cases of loving someone, but two of them have a kind of self-referentiality that the third one doesn't.
Now, here I want to pause a moment to ask about something that Christians like talking about, um, namely unconditional love. That's a like a phrase that you can use in Christianity, and people recognize it. It might sound kind of bad, what Aristotle is saying here. Why should you love someone because he's pleasurable, or because he's useful, or because he's good? Shouldn't you love people just as they are, good or bad? Shouldn't you just love them without conditions? Wouldn't that be right? All right, so the first thing I want to say, I hope you've picked up on this by now. Aristotle is not a Christian, okay? He's just not. Um, Aristotle thinks you should love people who are lovable. And he thinks that if someone isn't lovable, then you shouldn't love him. Why would you love something that wasn't lovable? That would just be stupid. Now, two qualifications. Aristotle doesn't mean that you should be a jerk about it, okay? He's just sort of saying that if you have no reason to love someone, you're not going to love them, and you shouldn't feel bad about that because you don't have any reason to love them, right? But that doesn't mean you have to go up to them and say, I just want you to know you're not lovable. And I don't love you. Just thought I would say that. Like, that has nothing to do with Aristotle's position. Okay. Um, the other thing is, like, Aristotle actually mentions this thing. Uh, I can't remember offhand, right, where it is. But he mentions, like, there might be a sense in which you love all humans because they're human or something like that. Okay, that's fine. But we're zeroing it. So there, there may be a sort of minimal way in which that's actually true. So then you can try to squeeze a little bit of, Christian love in there, maybe. But especially when he's talking about friendship, Aristotle is not going to say something like that. This is actually a difficult question. I mean, I'm not trying to make Aristotle into like super humanitarian. Um, that's a difficult question. Okay. But I do think Aristotle would find the idea of unconditional love a little bit puzzling. There's got to be some reason. And anyway, I think he would find the idea of unconditional friendship just be absurd. Um, and, you know, the thing is, maybe you do too, right? Even if, like, like, it's one thing to say you should love people no matter what. But it sounds very puzzling to say you should be friends with people no matter what. We'll think about it. Okay, now... Here's something maybe that a Christian might say. You should love everyone because everyone is from God. Everyone is a child of God. Now, if you do that, you've actually, in a way, accepted the idea that you have to have a reason for loving them. It turns out that the reason for loving them isn't their personal merit. It's because they are a child of God. But there still is a ground. Um, so if we say that we love people just for what they are, maybe that's not a very accurate way of saying what Christians are trying to say. Okay, so there, I just created a little bit of a mess for you to think about during lunchtime. Let me get back to the um, main topic here.
I've mostly been talking about love so far and why you love people, but we're supposed to be getting to friendship. So what is friendship? Love is not enough for friendship. So the first point to make um, is if A loves B, that's not enough for friendship. You need at least this much. B has to love A, right? That this is part of the concept of friendship. You need mutuality. I mean, we all know this, right? It's like tragic, right? You like somebody and they're just not that into you. And, you know, this is like a sad thing. It ain't a friendship. Then Aristotle thinks up this, um, this funny scenario. And this, this almost seems like the kind of weird scenario that an analytic philosopher would think of. He says, so A loves B and B loves A. But A doesn't know that B loves A, and B doesn't know that A loves B. Did I get the letters right? Anyway, it's not enough for two people to love each other that each has to know that the other loves him. And it's not just a crazy scenario, right? You could, you could have some like small community where two people admire one another, and, but neither of them picks up on them. And so the opportunity for friendship, as you can see, will pass them by. Um, so what you need for friendship is for two people to love each other, and it's mutual love that's known. That's why Aristotle adds that in. And the love is always going to be grounded in one of the three things mentioned earlier. So this is finally we're arriving at the three types of friendship. You have a friendship of utility in which A and B love each other and know they love each other because each is useful to the other. So think, for example, of a good business relationship. That might be an example. Each per, the people get along well, they like each other, they wish each other well, and, but what it's grounded on is that they each are receiving some benefit or utility. A, a working relationship that you have with somebody. Or there's friendship of pleasure in which A and B love each other and know they love each other because each is pleasant to the other. So these are people that you go out drinking with. Or the people that you go fishing with. Or that you go running with or something like that. A friendship of the good and of course, I don't mean if you go out drinking with somebody, that's the only kind of friendship it is, right? I mean, maybe they have you know, they are friends in other ways as well. But I mean, if that was like basically the sole basis of friendship, then it would be a very clear case of a friendship of pleasure. Finally, friendship of the good is when A and B love each other and know they love each other because each thinks the other is good and virtuous. Now. It's important to, to remember that this is, as stated, it's kind of abstract, it's kind of conceptual, and it glosses over, just when you just put it that way, it kind of glosses over the, the real-world facts that there are going to be intermediate cases, gray areas, mixed cases, and Aristotle is aware of that. Um, so a friendship, just for one example... Um, which Aristotle mentions, a friendship can start out in one of these ways, 
and then progress to another. You may just get to know someone in a working context. And then after a while, you start to realize there's more to this person than just being like a really good, you know, business partner. Um, and then you, you, you begin to, to admire them sort of for their character in itself. Um, so that's one of, um, and there are other ways in which, um, okay, I'll say that later. Never mind. Okay. So, so, but those are the three basic types. Now, let me mention a few things that friendship isn't. I don't mean that these are incompatible with friendship, but they just need to be distinguished. So one of them is friendliness. I think I assigned that short little part from um, book four on the virtue of friendliness, or what we call friendliness. Um, this is like a pleasant manner of dealing with everyone, whether they're your friends or not. Right, And as, as is typical for Aristotle, he says it's a mean between two extremes. Some people are just kind of cold and just really not friendly. Other people are just so extremely friendly. And like maybe they're like, they're always trying to impress you or suck up to you or they're just too ingratiating or whatever. And that's not right either. Okay, you want a sort of appropriate distance. Right. And part of being that's sort of OK. So it's good to be friendly in this way. This is a virtue that basically goes with thinking your dealings with everyone, friendliness. But that's not friendship. Um, another thing that friendship isn't is goodwill. I mean, this in a way is implied by what's been said already, but it seems worth extra commentary, and Aristotle thinks it's worth extra commentary. So if you have goodwill, you can wish good for someone, but like, just keep in mind, it needs to be reciprocated, and and especially we'll see this in the next um, talk, uh, I mean, in, in my next talk, not the next talk. Um, even reciprocated goodwill is not really enough, because it, you have to act on it. And Aristotle gives this great example. So you're like watching a sports competition, and for some reason or another, you want that guy to win. But you're not going to do anything about it. You just want him to win. I think that's a pretty good example. So, um, so that's, not, that's not friendship. And then he also talks about concord, which is a very important thing. Um, to say that something isn't the same as friendship isn't to say that it's bad or useless, right? I mean, a shoe isn't friendship either, but like shoes are good. Okay, so concord, agreement on important practical matters. You can have, be in a, it's a quite important to be in a state of concord with other people if you have to deal with them on a regular basis, right? You know, if you're in an academic department, everyone needs to be basically in concord about what the department ought to be doing. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of concord. If you work in a business, everybody's got to be basically in agreement on what this business is for. Um, and everybody's got it. So everybody's moving in the same direction. Now, people in a, a friendship based on goodness will tend to be in a state of concord. Why? Well, they're both good people. And good people like good things. So it will tend, they'll tend to arrive at concord 
more easily. Um, whereas people who are in a friendship only on the basis of what's pleasant or what's useful, they might enjoy drinking beer together, but have actually very different worldviews. And it will be hard for them. They might not be in concord. They might not be in agreement on important matters. Um, it will just sort of be by luck if they are in concord. And the same way with like the people, you know, the people who you work with at your job, um, you can get along and have a good time working at the bookstore and you agree on like shelving books, but you might not agree on like, you know, big matters of politics. Um, but anyway, concord, goodwill, friendliness, all great things, all not the same as friendship. All right, so now I want to comment on something that I've mentioned a little bit. It's maybe the elephant in the room. Um, if we look at the big three again, friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure, and friendships of goodness, it might seem a little weird to call friendships of utility or pleasure friendships. Are those people really your friends? Isn't it just that you want to get something out of them? So I want to say two things about this. The first one is to say it's not quite as weird as it seems. And the second one is to say, okay, you're right, it is kind of weird. All right. So the first one is this. Aristotle is not saying that any situation in which you, um, utility or pleasure arises between two people is all automatically a friendship of utility. It has to be an ongoing relationship. So if you just go to a random CVS in a random town and buy a bottle of ibuprofen, we wouldn't call that a friendship of utility. You and the cashier, you know. Because it's just not enough. You might be friendly to one another, let's hope so, but they're not one of your friends, even in a sense of friendship of utility. It needs to be an ongoing relationship. So, you know, if you're the kind of person who needs to go to the garage with your car a lot because you apparently made a poor choice about your car or something like this, you make it like you have like you develop a relationship with the auto mechanic. Okay. That happens. Um, so when you see that he's only talking about ongoing relationships, it makes it less weird to think of that as a kind of friendship. However, um, there is something weird about it, um, and Aristotle completely acknowledges this. Um, and he says that these friendships are imperfect or incomplete. And it's for the very reason that you're thinking. It's because ultimately the ground for loving the friend is really the desire for benefits or pleasure for yourself. Now, Aristotle does not think it's bad to desire pleasure or benefits for yourself. He thinks it's okay to love yourself as long as you do it in the right way. There are virtuous and vicious ways of loving yourself. You can, you know, it's not like selfish and greedy to want to eat, right? Eating is not, a self, not intrinsically a selfish act. You're doing that to benefit yourself. That's a good action. As long as you're doing it in the right way, you're not like stealing food from little children or something. All right. Um, so 
So it's not that it's bad, but there's something imperfect and incomplete about it as a friendship because it's really about you. Um. So there, these are friendships, Aristotle would say, but they're imperfect friendships, incomplete friendships, whereas friendship based on the good is perfect or complete friendship, friendship in the fullest sense. So here are other ways that we might put that. We might say all these people are, are my friends, but th these few here, these are like my friend friends. Right? That's a way to say things like that in English. They're not just friends, they're friend friends. We use the word twice in a row. And that means like friends in the full sense, in the, the, the primary sense, in the main sense, in the biggest sense. Friends without qualification. Not friends um, kind of, sort of. Not friends in a way, but just friends. Friends, period. Friends, full stop. If we were speaking Latin, we would say they're friends simpliciter, rather than friends secundum quid. Okay. So imperfect friendships, it's not that they're not friendships, but they're not friendships in the fullest sense. And this is one of Aristotle's sort of, I don't know if exactly that he uses it this way, but it, it, when you make distinctions like this between something that's so in the full sense, and some of this full and secondary sense, it can just relieve a lot of philosophical cramps. You're like, wait, how can this be? Friendship is about love, but it's, it's really about benefits for myself. So it's not really friendship. Ah, right. And he goes, well, look, I mean, it is friendship in a secondary way. And then you're like, ah, oh, I see. Okay. So this and this strategy of distinguishing senses and something's true in the primary sense and other things are true in secondary senses. Aristotle uses that all over the place. It's extremely useful. Um, consider it. Um, now, so let me say some things about imperfect friendships, and then I'll mention mixed friendships, and then... Well, let me just start there. I'm not going to give a list of all the topics for the next 10 minutes. It's too much. So, first, so Aristotle makes, here are some interesting remarks that Aristotle makes about imperfect friendship. He says, they're not very permanent. Relative, comparatively speaking, this doesn't mean they only last for two minutes, but they're comparatively non-permanent. Why? Because what's useful changes. Or what's pleasant changes. What's useful to you at one stage of your life is different. So let's say you have a car, so you need a mechanic. Then you get a better car, and maybe you don't need a mechanic. Or maybe you still need a mechanic. But eventually you decide, I hate cars. So um, you get rid of your car, and you move into the city, and you just take the metro. Well, guess what? You just killed your relationship with your mechanic. Problem. You're probably not going to stay in touch. Right? What was useful changed. And so... Um, that relate so the relationship faded away or you know you used to think it was fun to drink 10 beers on friday night and you had the other people who did that and at a certain point you realized this is not a good way to go you don't find that pleasant anymore you're going to need a different set of friends sounds like a better set of friends to me but like leaving that aside the point is 
it just isn't what was pleasant to you changes. And so um, the, the, some of your friendships of, based on pleasure are going to um, fade away when your interests change. He also very interestingly says that old people tend to go for friendships of utility and that young people tend to go for friendships of pleasure, right? So young people are likely to have drinking buddies and old people are likely to have the kind of friends who push them around in their wheelchairs, okay? <laughs> he also makes the extremely insightful remark. He says the young people tend to go for friendships of pleasure and then he says, except for ambitious young people. Okay, so we've all met the kind of person who, like, they're always looking for the angle, right? They want to meet you, but they partly, they want to know how, whether you're going to be useful to them to get an internship. Um, yeah, so, like, it's worth reading Aristotle carefully. He sometimes seems a little scattered, scatterbrained, you know, but... Often he's dropping in little little remarks like this that are super, uh, super um, insightful. Okay. Um, he also talks, it raises the, the idea that there are mixed friendships. So, like, um, let's say you have two people and they go out. And basically, this is why. One guy is, like, really funny. And the other guy pays for the beer. Now you could say it's a it's a uh, uh, sort of a mixed. Um, so the, it's first mixed in the sense that they are providing different things for each other. You see what I mean? It's not like two funny people making each other laugh. One of them is providing humor, and the other is providing beer. Now you could say that, but those are both friendships of pleasure because beer is pleasant. But you could also say it's actually even more mixed than that because it's it's a friendship of of um, utility. Uh, like the guy, the guy who's who pays for the beer is actually like a useful friend. So you can pick, the, you can make. Um, so that would make it look even more mixed. And it sort of depends a little bit on how you think about it. So like, if if you want, you can pick, make the case a little bit stronger. You pay money to um, um, hear a concert. Okay, so you get the pleasure of the concert and the musician gets paid. Now, again, that's complicated because musicians enjoy playing. Yeah, but like on one level, the musicians get paid, right? Okay. So there can be these relationships and they can be steady ones. Like maybe you have a, a regular relationship with your, well, and never mind. Okay, I'm going to make it too complicated. So just think of the possible, this is one of the ways in which it gets complicated. Relationships can be mixed. Okay. Now let's talk about friendships based on the good. Go into a little bit of more detail on that. You love your friend because your friend is good, because he is good or because she is good. So this is based on what the friend is. It's based on the friend's virtue. And so it's going to last as long as virtue lasts. Now, for Aristotle, virtue, remember I said it's a kind of second nature. It's pretty stable. Once you're really a virtuous person, you're not, it's going to take a lot to get you no longer virtue. That's the good news. The bad news is that if you become vicious, it takes a lot of work <laughs> to stop being vicious. This is why you should try to avoid that. Uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons. So, um, 
Right. So friendships based on the good tend to be more stable and long-lasting, Aristotle says, precisely because the thing on which they are based, virtue, that is a, a stable kind of thing. If it turns out that someone that you know actually is honest and courageous, they're probably going to be honest and courageous five years from now, because that's just how virtue works. Now, utility, I mentioned this before, utility and pleasure come along with goodness. So uh, a friend who is a, a friend of goodness or virtue will also be enjoyable to be around, and they will also be useful to you. They will help you. They will come to your place and help you pack when you have to move. And he says that friendships based on the good take a long time to develop because you have to know the other person well to really grasp whether their character is good. It wasn't just that they're not posers, they're not fakers, um, they're not just, you just didn't catch them on a good day. You need to do things like go camping in the rain with them and see how they behave under these circumstances. So, um, okay. Now, what causes friendships to break up? This is in, some of this is implicit in what's been said already. If for friendships of utility or pleasure, basically the key thing is one friend at least is no longer a source of friends of, uh, sorry, for friendships of utility or pleasure, when one friend is no longer a source of utility or pleasure for the other, the friendship is going to come to an end. Because it's, it's what it's based on has gone away. For friendships based on the good, it's going to have the primary way is if one of the friends turns back. Now, this is not likely because virtue is stable, but it can happen. And Aristotle actually says, he says, if one of your friends starts turning bad, you should start to convert him. You should try to convert him and keep him from going bad. But if you fail at a certain point, that friendship is going to have to be over. Um, he also mentions the very interesting and kind of poignant case about two people who are friends, but one of them outstrips the other in goodness. So you can imagine people that you're, somebody that you're friends with when you're young, and then, you know, two people that are friends when they're young, and one of them just becomes an amazing person. And the other one, it's, it's like, they're fine, but they're just not amazing. And that's going to put a lot of strain on the friendship. The, the one who's left behind isn't bad. He's just kind of, eh, kind of mediocre. Um, and, and they no longer see things in the same way. So Aristotle says that in this case, the friendship is, might come to an end. But, and here I think in, in a way, he's like thinking especially of the party who is greater. He still like sort of honors and respects their past friendship. So like maybe they'll meet, I'm making this up now, they'll like meet at their high school reunion. And he's like, oh yeah, you know? Um, but they're, it's not the same anymore. Okay. So, I don't know. I think Aristotle's distinction between imperfect and perfect friendships is probably sounds pretty plausible to a lot of people. Um, Friendships of utility and pleasure, they're friendships, yeah, but only sort of. They're not true friends, as we say. Um, and this is related to a point made already, right? It's, it's um, related to why we love the friend. The core of this loving is well-wishing. So this is something I've said before, but I'm, I'm going to like... Um, 
give it a different twist now. Um, the core of this loving is well-wishing or benevolence and doing well, beneficence for the other person. In the imperfect kinds of friendship, I, I wish well for the friend, but largely because it rebounds to me. So I want my, my mechanic to be healthy. But like, let's face it, one of the main reasons I want him to be healthy is because I want him to fix my car, right? I want my drinking buddy to be healthy so he can go out with me. So again, you do wish well for the other person, but there's something self-referential about it. All right. Um, whereas in the case of a friendship based on the good, um, we want what's good for them, even if it doesn't affect us well. Okay, now, let me just mention some quick little thoughts about um, how our ideas about friendship might not line up entirely with Aristotle's. I don't want to exaggerate this point, but it seems to me that Aristotle, that we tend probably, uh, this is in the notes to your edition, I think this is probably right, we tend to emphasize sort of idiosyncrasies of personality, right? You know, I'm friends with this person because we both like birding. And it's not like Aristotle is indifferent to concerns like that, but that's not where he places the emphasis in his discussion. He places it on um, admiration of character and respect for character. Um, another, um, and now a little bit more, Aggressively, perhaps, Aristotle seems to think that only good people can have friendships in the full sense. If you're a bad person, you can have friendships of utility with other people. You can have friendships of pleasure with other people. But you can't have friendships of the good. You might have apparent friendships of the good. People might think you're good, and you might think they're good. Okay. Um. So for Aristotle, it's clear that lacking virtue is a tremendous disadvantage for acquiring and keeping friends. That's because having friendship in the full sense is based on having good character. If you are not a good and virtuous person, why would anyone want to be friends with you? And Aristotle's answer is, they won't. And you can't just say, hey, what about unconditional love, guys? You're supposed to love me for what I am. Everybody be my friend, even though I'm selfish and grasping. That's not going to happen. Um, so finally, it's, here's a weird thought. It's probably true that the best way to have useful and pleasant friends in your life is not to worry so much about having pleasant and useful friends in your life. Just try to get some friends based on the good, and the other stuff will come along with it. Um, so, yeah, final thought. It's hard or impossible to be happy without friends. In later talks, we'll talk about this. Um, you need friends to be happy. You need virtue to have friends. Another reason to be virtuous. Okay, I'm done. So one of, one of the reasons I love Aristotle is because a lot of what he says is common sense. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I don't love Aristotle because a lot of what he says is common sense. So I, I can understand that I have friendships of pleasure that I, that I run with, friendships of utility, and that I can't think of, I play video games with this one guy because he has a console. There you um, go. And I, don't, and I can think of friendships of virtue, which I'm not going to lie, I don't have any of those right now. I should get on that. But I mean, I, knowing this, 
A, I don't really need to read Aristotle, and B, I'm hypothetically, if my, my, if my best friend kills himself and we had an argument the night before, I was just going to help him. But like me knowing the different types of friendships and me knowing I see. basic common sense, that's not going to help me get over an existential crisis. Right. Okay. So my first thought about this is that a lot of things in Aristotle are, so to speak, common sense. Now, it's possible that one of the reasons they are common sense is they've seeped into our culture because of Aristotle. Okay. But even if that's not true, um, often what you get by discussions like these, in a way you knew all this already, but in another way you didn't really. You needed someone to explain it. And then you're like, ah, that's right. So you knew it, but now you know it a lot more clearly and a lot more securely. Um, you read this and you're like, okay, I just learned something really kind of dark about myself. All my friends are friends of utility. Wow, I never noticed it until someone laid it out. So Aristotle often doesn't surprise us with something that just shocks our sensibilities, but he clarifies them. So it's like if you're looking through a telescope, you can see what's there, but then Aristotle comes along and he goes, and now things come into focus. I think that counts for a lot. Um, would knowing the three types of friendship um, solve an existential crisis? No. Um, That's like all that. What? Just like crisis after crisis. I see. And, and most people, like I'd already see, argue most people in modernity have crisis Well, crisis. I, I don't. We're I'll, all on anxiety. Like 75% of the Sure. This strikes me as slightly different issues. Um, well, so, so two thoughts. One is maybe knowing the, th I mean, certainly knowing the three types of friendship is not going to all by itself do anything for your anxiety or your crises, but it may help you understand, well, all my friends are friends of utility. Maybe I need to work on that, right? Maybe that's part of my problem. But the other thing is, um, I think some of the later talks about friendship will have, in certain ways, additional existential oomph, because Aristotle talks about what friends do and what friendship is. And, and some of that might shed more light on that. <laughs> yeah, so I think sort of the modern apprehension towards like extending philia too broadly based on like the yeah. Aristotle definition is, is present. But I think this also can run in the other direction, where, I don't know, we say, for example, like, you know, you have to love your family but you don't have to like them for example so yes it's very i think strange to talk about like you know being, I, this is this is done but i think there are weird things about like talking about like being friends with your or calling your brother your friend or your father your friend um and it seems like aristotle would be fine with just sort of directing philia towards family members if it's present but it also seems like we are pretty okay with saying like all right, in order to actually be friends with your dad, like you can love your dad, you know, you can have your dad will your good, you can will your dad's good, but if you don't like to spend time with him, then you're not really friends. Yes. Um, and I don't know if Aristotle considers like relationships which will the good of other people and the good is willed by one and it's because of goodness, but you just don't enjoy spending time with them. And whether or not philia would be like genuinely and properly extended to that kind of relationship. <laughs> no, this is, this is a good question. It's complicated by two things. 
One is that the particular examples that you're using are examples of friendship in the family, mm -hmm. which Aristotle talks about. And the other thing is that it's an unequal relationship, which Aristotle talks about. Um, and, you know, especially for Aristotle, um, even more, I mean, I think we all recognize that there's a sense in which your relationship with your parents is never going to be completely a relationship between equals because they're your parents. But I think that, you know, in the ancient world, they have a sort of stronger sense of this, right? Um, so that's going to complicate what the friendship looks like. I, I mean, I want to think about that more. Um, it may be that in some, for some cases, I mean, Aristotle seems to think, for example, that among siblings, friendship is fairly likely. They come up with the same background. They come from the same people. They're likely to be similar in certain ways. Now, that sort of is a little, that sort of suggests that they're going to be friends based on similarity of character, which is not the same as being friends on the goodness of character. That's a complication that he doesn't bring out, but I think it's sort of implicit in what he says. Um, but if you grow up in a good family, then they're going to tend to be um, friends in this way. But on the other hand, it doesn't always work out, right? I, I, I think in a way, I'd like to know more about the sort of sociology and history of the kinds of communities that Aristotle was thinking of. So, I mean, I, it seems to me that one of the things that puts strain on family togetherness is school. Because schools tend to be kind of, I don't want to exaggerate, but they're sort of totalizing entities. Once you start going to a school, most of your friends are from that school, your activities are associated with that school, and if you have several kids in the family and they all go to different schools, they're all sort of drawn in different directions. And so that tends, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, that's a more complicated question, but kids being in school tends to pull the family apart. Now, in a sort of era, the kind of family that Aristotle's thinking of, do they send their kids to school? I don't think so. You have some teacher come in. So they're all kind of not exactly homeschooled, but they're taught by a professional teacher at home. So there's probably a little more family tightness. So there's a lot of complications there. Um, but I think in a way, you know, I mean, I don't want to say, well, look, I mean, it's all right here in Aristotle, I'll just keep reading. But I will say that like the distinctions he makes and stuff, they do help, they give us tools to start thinking it through. Uh, you may end up discovering, yeah, some of my siblings, it's basically, it's kind of a friendship of utility, kind of is, but it can be a very positive one. I mean, I know somebody whose main relationship with one of his brothers is keeping the third brother out of jail. That's like the only thing they ever talk about, you know, but I mean, it's a kind of friendship. It's a little, it's a very weird working relationship. So let's thank our speaker. Okay, sorry. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.